you'd like to turn and read with me, we're going to be reading in John's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. We'll read the first five verses. John, chapter 10, verse 1 through 5. Jesus speaking, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of stranger. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, in this very wonderful, beautiful discourse narrative of our Lord, one of the most precious, I believe, in all of Scripture, we see the metaphors of the Old Testament, whereas where God's people are referred to as sheep, becoming a beautiful allegorical discourse in this chapter. And it is called a parable in verse 6 there. This parable spake Jesus unto them. Uh, the parable in this sense, and as many or most all of the Jesus' parables, uh, in fact all parables almost in general are allegories. Because in a parable you're talking about something that is representative of something else in some way, form, or fashion. So parables, allegories, very difficult to, to separate those. But uh, in the Old Testament, numerous times we read about God's people being his sheep. Of course, we have the familiar 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd in that respect. And numerous times we read about the psalmist also mentioning the sheep of his pasture four times in the book of Psalms. Psalm 74, 1, 79, 13, 95, 7, and 103. And I'm just going to read one of those. Uh, Psalms 95 and 7 really embraces uh, the thought there of what we're talking about. It's very inclusive of several things. Psalm 95, 7, He is our God. We are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear his voice. Now, while that certainly in the Old Testament reference is generally true of Israel, it is still true of anyone who was a believer in Christ. And, of course, that included Gentile peoples to some degree in the Old Testament. So those were the metaphors we see in the Old Testament that here Jesus just takes and develops now into this wonderful allegory of the shepherd and the sheep. So our title for the message comes from two of our verses that we read there in verse 3 and 4, the phrase, His own sheep. His own sheep. And of course, we would like for everybody who hears us, either present or audio or video, consider the question, are you His own sheep? And we're going to be discussing the things about his own sheep today, that if you are not confident about your answer in that, perhaps will help you. Do remember that just because you label yourself does not make you what you label yourself. Anybody can wear a label 
or a name of any kind of their own choosing, and that does not make you anything other than what you already are. The label should come because of what you are, not in order to be something that you want to be. Now, in this metaphor or the allegory, depending upon we're looking at the Old Testament, Jesus himself as the Messiah was prophesied to the shepherd of his people. And I am going to read these scriptures because I find them more relative and very precious to our thoughts. In Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 22, we read these words. Therefore will I save my flock, and they shall no more be a prey, and I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. And there, of course, David and the servant of David is speaking of none other than Jesus, the seed of David, who would be the Messiah. So there's metaphors there. But that is messianic very obviously as, it, as we read it there. If you turn over to the 37th chapter, at verse 21, we read also these words. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. And David my servant shall be king over them and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. So very messianic there, yet using the metaphor of shepherd and the people as sheep. One more in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And of course, Jesus referenced that in the night of his passion, betrayal, and what have you, in the fact that that would be fulfilled when he would be taken, crucified, etc., shepherd smitten, and the sheep scattered. So, when we come to John's Gospel, chapter 10, and the Lord develops this into this wonderful discourse and narrative. If there were any doubts about his Messiahship, if you knew what I just read, you would have no doubt when he said what he said, I am the good shepherd. Okay? I mean, that's as good as the places where he says that he was the Christ or the Messiah. All right? So it's very evident from those metaphors, this allegory, that Christ's true identity would be known as the Messiah. His own sheep, 
When we look at the five verses that we have looked at this morning, and of course the rest of the chapter elaborates on it, and there's so much stuff here we could just spend a long time. But we're going to try to confine our thoughts to this His Own Sheep and the relationship described in these five verses. And we're going to look at ten things, not ten points. Okay, don't get scared. We're not going to be here while I go into ten points. Uh, ten things we're going to try to briefly look at. We could call them facts, which indeed they are, because Jesus said them. <laughs> it don't get any more factual and truthful than that when Christ said it. They are facts, characteristics, or manifestations that are stated in these five verses concerning the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. And I say to you again, you should be familiar with this chapter and you should be impressed always with the beauty and the peculiar meaning of the things Jesus is teaching here. Because as far as the relationship between Christ and His people, I just don't know of anything that is more personal, more intimate, and more beautiful relationship than the way he develops this idea and this thought, the shepherd and the sheep. It is so tender. This is not the only place, of course, that this is. Jesus talked about the lost sheep and the 90 and 9, you know, and things like that. It's in other places. But in John 10, it is solely the shepherd and the sheep, his own sheep. So it is beautiful when you can see yourself as a redeemed child of God, and the personal application is to you. It is the same, again. In fact, you, you, can't, you can't get everything that's in John 10 without referencing the 23rd Psalm. And if you know the 23rd Psalm by heart, if you were taught it as a child, then John chapter 10 just blossoms when you read it. It is just so inspiring and so beautiful. And so really the things we're going to cover, the ten things here, could be a litmus test for are you really His own sheep? This is the standard that Jesus sets, not that I have set or anybody has set. These are the things that He says about Himself, His sheep, and that relationship, those that are His. Okay? So to begin with, first and foremost, his own sheep. All right? Two times, verse 3 and 4, he refers to that. So we're talking about ownership and possession. And of course, this is a beautiful thought. This is a beautiful principle. And this is where you begin in this discussion. How are they his sheep? How did they become his sheep? Why are they his sheep? And this is literally like asking you why you are saved in that regard. Well, we go into a big thing there. But dealing specifically with the ownership, they are his own sheep. And we can answer this in verse 29 of this chapter. How and why they are his own sheep. Verse 29 says, My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So we see sovereign ownership, sovereign power, 
sovereign possession, sovereign authority. And here the Father gave them to the Son. If you're familiar with your Bible, you know that this is not the only place that is stated. It is referenced numerous times, not by another writer, but by Jesus himself. In John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus again says, All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Verse 39, two verses later, This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. You cannot narrow that, nor what we're reading in John 10 or in John 17. You can't whittle it down just to the 12 apostles and say that's the only meaning. Because Christ will raise up every believer in the resurrection and so forth and so on. The things that are applicable. So two times there in John 6, the same reference. And then in that precious intercessory prayer of John 17 in verse 2, As thou hast given him, Christ speaking in the third person, power over all flesh that he, Christ, should give eternal life to whom? As many as... Thou hast given him a direct proportion. And of course, they were given to Christ in eternity past through the election of the Father as a gift unto the Son. Now, they became his there by election, and yet at the same time, there is a condition to their ownership. And that condition is that Christ would purchase them with his own blood. He had to satisfy, of course, divine justice in order for them to be with him where he was and them to be in the presence of the Father. The Father gave, the Son agreed to redeem, and that's exactly what he did. In There in our uh, text again, in verse 11 and verse 15, notice... I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. That's the redemptive work of Christ. Even though they were given to him of the Father, they were given to him to redeem. Right? Verse 15, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If Christ had not died for them, he would not have purchased them in that regard. He purchased them having already been given them. And I hope that makes sense to you. The Father elected and gave, the Son purchased, as it says, with his own blood. Paul said this two times in the first letter to the Corinthians in 6 and 20 and 7 and 23. Ye are bought with a price. You are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Literally in the slave sense, you do not make your own decisions, go your own way, do your own thing. You don't have that option. You belong to another master. If Christ laid down his life for you, you are like that sheep. You belong absolutely and totally 100% to him, to nobody else, not even to yourself. 
This is what the word Lord means. This is what the word master means when it comes to to the usage of these words in Christ in the New Testament. Now, Peter defined for us, again, that purchase price and what Christ said here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, familiar passage, verse 17 and 18, or 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed, and that's the buying, the purchasing, with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And let me just pause here and insert in here something that will make you uh, think a little bit. Uh, slaves, if they had enough money, could buy their freedom in different societies. Romans did that. You might remember when Paul was arrested at, uh, in Jerusalem. The Roman, uh, was he a centurion or whatever it was, Listius, the, the leader there, you know, was going to have Paul beaten and see what that's about. And he said, are you going to be the Roman citizen? Oh, I didn't know you're a Roman citizen. Paul said, I was born free. And the Roman guy said, mine came by the price, you know, meaning that you could be redeemed if you had enough money, you could buy your freedom. This is the same thing that Peter is saying here. We weren't redeemed with corruptible things such as money, gold and silver. No. By vain conversation received by tradition of your father. And this actually goes into the law, how things were redeemed. Remember that? Uh, the turtle doves when Christ was born, when a male was born and animals and things, they had to be redeemed because they were the Lord's. All right? But, so this is what Peter's talking about. But with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. So his own sheep were given to him by the Father, and yet in harmony that was purchased by his own life and his own blood, as he stated, he would lay it down for them, out of love to them. The second thing we notice here is that he calleth them, it says, his own sheep, verse 3, by name. Now, if you're a child of God, you've got to love that. Why do you love that? Because it gets personal. You're not just one of a mass. You're not just one of a lump. You're just not one in a herd. You're an individual. You are a personal sheep. Personal identity. And if you don't identify yourself as such in the family of God, you're missing a great blessing. You know, don't just think of yourself, well, I'm just one of his children. Well, you are. But every one of his children is special. In other words, what I'm saying to you is he died for each of us individually. Redemption is not just him dying for a mass of humanity, while that's true, and we label it as the elect, yet in application, he loves each one of us individually with an everlasting love. It is not just a slop in the hog's love, okay? And he calls you by name. Your conversion should have been a personal experience. And if it was not, then I would ask you to question, examine whatever you're calling your conversion. Because in the Bible, the Bible allows us to see personal conversions. 
many times, one-on-one. -on -one. He calleth His own sheep by name. Now, when we get into the name thing, this is also beautiful, is that your name is no accident. He knew your name before anybody knew what your name was if you're His child because it was written down in the annals of eternity past in the Lamb's Book of Life before some nurse or anybody else ever wrote it on your birth certificate or before your parents ever come up with it during your mother's pregnancy. That's pretty humbling. It's meant to be. Your name is important if you're a child of God. If you're not a child of game, you're nothing. I'm not saying that demeaningly, but I'm just saying it on this basis. In Luke 16, there was a beggar named Lazarus. There was a rich man that had no name. Lazarus, he had a name. He went to heaven. The man just went to hell. We don't even have his name. I, I, there's, there's an anonymity there, you know? The bottom line is, and the Bible teaches us going back to our Sunday school, we're nobody of ourselves. We're nobody as sinners. You become somebody in Christ. Your name is important then because He knew it from the foundation of the world. He calleth them by name, and this is special also. If you're a child of God, whenever you were converted, you experienced that call. By name. There may have been more than you saved at that time. I, I don't know, but still yet, if you were saved, God called you by name. It was one-on-one. -on -one. I remember being a child, and I was impressed before I actually was saved, as I described to you in Sunday school this morning, about the child Samuel. You know, you know the experience. Samuel, he run to Eli, you know, three times. And the Bible the second time says, and the Lord called him Samuel. So he was calling his name. There we have an incident of it literally happened. Now, I'm not talking about that happening all the time to all of us. That was special person, special time, special place, extraordinary, not the norm. But yet the call to salvation for every one of God's elect, every one of God's sheep, is personal. You by name. And again, you didn't have and I didn't have an experience like Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road where light and the Lord spoke and all that either. But in that, notice how personal it was, even though Saul was in a crowd. What did he hear? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Let me tell you, salvation is personal. This call is an effectual call. Just like Saul, and I'll use that and pass on. Nobody heard the Lord's voice but Saul. The Lord spoke. The others heard something. Let me give you one more example. When Christ stood at Lazarus' tomb, what did he say? He didn't say come forth, or I believe, like say, at a graveyard, everybody come out of there. But he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus heard him come forth. Nobody else come out from the dead. That's how personal this is. So this is not the outward call that the gospel says, repent and believe. This is not the outward call where Christ says, Come, you know, come unto me, all ye that labor him. The outward call of the gospel. This is the call that is specific 
to a specific person's ear and hearing, as we have described. And then the next thing we see is, in, in uh, reciprocation, I guess you could say to this, is they hear His voice. Well, that's a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> that is the miracle, isn't it? He that is of God heareth God's words. How many people did Jesus address? How many heard? How many didn't hear? You know, that hearing thing is a big thing in the New Testament and in Scripture and in the Bible. Think about how many times Jesus said or how many times it's recorded in the Gospel when Jesus said something or taught something and the writers Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would say, record, Jesus said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's not natural to hear the truth of God's Word. They hear with a physical ear, but not the spiritual ear. Let me give you an illustration quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse 4. Moses speaking to the children of Israel, of course, here as you know, Deuteronomy, the law repeated. And he says here... Um, in verse 2, he called all Israel together. You've seen, And notice this, I've got to read it uh, for context. Verse 2, You have seen all the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt unto Pharaoh and unto his servants and unto all his land, the great temptations which his eyes have seen, the signs and those great miracles. Okay, they saw it. They experienced it. They beheld it, right? They benefited from it. All right? Now look at this. Yet the Lord hath not given you an heart to perceive, and eyes to see, and ears to hear unto this day. So they saw, they heard, they perceived, they felt, they experienced, and yet they didn't see, and they didn't hear. See, there's two kinds of hearing. There's two kinds of seeing. There's two kinds of understanding. It's not just the physical. It's the spiritual. But the text says the sheep hear His voice. When it is that personal, intimate call, just like Samuel or Saul or whatever, or even if it's the word, come unto me. When it's applied personal, that's what we call effectual call. Because you hear it. Again, I say to you, Saul, on Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus, why did he alone hear the voice of Jesus? And the others around him just heard noise. Why does people in a preaching service, one sit there and hears the gospel and believes it and obeys it, and the one beside it is, doesn't matter? Well, we can answer that because if, if we took a, a candle out there in the sunshine and some clay out there in the sunshine and laid them down side by side, the sun's hitting both of them equally, the candle's going to uh, melt and the clay's going to get hard. It's the state of the thing. In fact, Proverbs 20 and verse 12 says, The hearing ear and the seeing putteth them forth. And that's exactly what he does. The sheepfold was the place of shelter for the night from animals, thieves, whatever. Keep a containment, a corral, whatever it may have been. 
But obviously, you know, and I'm always amazed at this old Western, I'm very critical, I'm a realist. They show these herds of cattle and herds of horses and these big corrals, and they ain't a stick of grass or a bale of hay or nothing in a hundred miles. You you can't keep a herd of animals corralled up. They're gonna die. They gotta have water, they gotta have feet. And of course you look at the landscape and they ain't a sparse grass, you know, it looks like New Mexico places. But there they are. Hundreds of them in that corral, all nice and healthy. You know, that's another thing. die, dry, and blow away. No, you, you take the flock out to graze, to water, to be nourished, get fat, get happy and sassy, you know? Well, this is exactly what he does with his people, doesn't he? I mean, putting forth. God didn't save you for you to be a monk, isolated someplace the rest of your life. No, he gave us a commission, didn't he? He, he took us out. He saved us for us to serve. Go ye into the world, preach the gospel to all creatures. I send you forth, John, uh, Matthew 10, as sheep in the midst of wolves. What's the purpose of that? Because you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are the means by which I will bring the other sheep into the fold. That's what the Bible teaches. John 17 again, if I may jump over there. Three scriptures will complement this in verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. And so have also sent them into the world. So there is a putting forth. We've got something to do. Lord, don't save us to sit in a corner or stay in the sheepfold. You're not supposed to be a knot on the log in the church. We are united to carry out the He leads... And if you're going to lead, you got to be out front. So he goes before. Okay? Think about this. If you're a child of God, you should not have to be driven from behind. Amen. And shame on us if we get in that predicament. He does have a rod, and he does have a staff, and he does know how to use them. If it comes to that, he can do that. He can take care of that. But let me tell you, the best way is the Psalms 23 way, and this way, just follow it. He lead. Where does he lead? He leadeth me in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He leadeth me, you know, paths of righteousness for his name's sake, in the valley of the shadow of death. But all for good. Right? So... It's not a natural thing to follow. <laughs> Sin, pride, we want to be out front. I mean, whether we're driving a car, <laughs> whatever. It, it's there embedded. It, it's worse in some people than others. But again, it's just part of our selfish humanity. 
But the grace of God will cause us to want to be led. Especially when we consider where our choices have taken us. And yet he has never taken us anywhere before our good. So he leadeth them out. He goeth before them. Here is the master. Here is the example. else the Holy Spirit was directing the whole time wasn't he you know they took off but the Lord said not here but here go here to Mark here to there there Philip the eunuch that's what we're talking about and then the simple statement is they follow him <laughs> I mean they're fine with him leading now again our flesh says we're going how are we going to get there What's going to happen in the way? You know, there's our flesh, just like a child impatient on a, in a car, whether you're going five miles or 500. But faith is just trusting. The Lord is my shepherd. He leadeth me beside the still water, the green grass and all that. You just trust Him. They follow Him. And they follow him as, again, not just Savior, but Master and Lord of their life. Knowing that what they don't know, literally we'll say it as a simple, dumb sheep, the shepherd does know. And the more you trust him, the more you want to trust him. So they follow him not having to know, just I'll, to put it bluntly, with a stupid simplicity. Okay, that's that's literally the way we're to be as a sheep in that regard. And I've told you before, you know, it's always amazing that you know how animals in a herd or two or three, or if there's just two, if one goes. Everybody thinks they're supposed to go for some reason. That tends to be the They don't know where they're going. They don't know why the one that's leading is going away.
he goes. Another scripture here, just a few pages over in John 14 and 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. What does it mean to follow him? Get this, it means to obey him. Don't be deceived, don't deceive yourself. Christ is being obedient unto him. Don't talk to me or anybody else about how much you love him if you're not following him. You're you're as the old saying goes, you're lying through your teeth. We're all lying through our teeth. If we're going to talk how much we love him and we don't obey him, and we're not following him, and we're not doing what he said to do, we don't love him. And you can think you love him more than you do. This is how you can find out how much you love him. How much you care. How faithful are you following? All kinds of people are running around saying, God says this, God says that. How do you know? All kinds of shepherds, different flocks in the sheepfold. But they only tuned in to their shepherd. I, I heard a man describe this one time. You may have heard it too. That again, in these sheepfolds, a lot of times there were more than one flock of sheep. There could be several. And a man I, I told this, and I was, I was so glad I heard it because it just made this real. And he said, literally, he had a room somewhere close by, and he literally witnessed it that of a morning, a, a shepherd would come up there, and he'd call out to his sheep. I don't know what kind of things he, words he used to those sheep. And he said, it's the most amazing thing you ever seen. You could, those that were his in there perked right up at that guy's voice. The others was like a sound had never been made. Just totally ignored. He said, you just have to see it to believe it. But you can visualize what I'm saying. And that's what you're saying. If you know Jesus, you're to know what Jesus said. You're to know what Jesus taught. That's what we're to know. We can't obey if we don't know. So this knowing His voice is not just knowing that voice of comfort or that voice of calling, but that voice that speaks to us, do this, don't do that. Like parental voice. Okay? Go here, don't go there. Eat this, don't eat that. Drink that, don't drink this. They know His voice. And therefore, if some other shepherd, quote-unquote, shepherds 
It's, it's okay to eat this. It's okay to drink that. I don't think so. A stranger, a stranger, will they not follow? Who are we going to follow? We follow Jesus, nobody else. We don't follow Jesus and Peter, we don't follow Jesus and Paul, we don't follow Jesus, Peter, Paul, and Apollos, we don't follow Mary, we don't follow the Pope, we don't follow me, except as I follow the Lord, we follow Jesus. One Lord, one Master, one faith, one baptism, the only begotten Son of God. Everybody else is a stranger. And you, again, I'm not predicting Scripture. You know my role as a pastor. You know what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. It's good to have me folks in that. But ultimately, we're following those people because they're on the path of Christ. And Christ. And they didn't know that person was no longer following Christ. And so they went into the ditch with the other person. They know his voice. So again, when something pops up and somebody says, or some denomination, or some preacher, or something says, do this, don't do that, you should be able to know, well, what did Jesus say? I don't think that's what Jesus said. It's his voice. And his voice alone. So his word, his teaching, what he taught. That's what we adhere to. And we don't follow a stranger for that very reason because we know his voice. A stranger is an imposter, a deceiver, a false Christ, a false prophet, a false whatever. But his message is different from Jesus. And that's how you identify him as being. And a Holy Spirit that dwells in you. The Word and the Spirit help you discern that which is truth and that which is false. And it's like anything, the more you do it, the easier it gets and the better you get at it. The more you neglect it, the more you're a sitting duck. All this warm, fuzzy Christianity today ain't nothing but heresy. It's got all this feel-good, fleshly stuff in it. You know? mix religions, we don't mix denominations, we don't mix the gods, we don't mix nothing. We follow the way, the truth, and the life. And anybody like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress that's not on that road following the way, the truth, and the life, we're not going to turn off them. We're going to stay on that path. In fact, it says
a thief in verse 1 here, verse 2, climbing over the wall, sneaking in. They're in there to do harm. They're not the shepherd of the sheep. They don't have that. So we should be able to recognize danger. If you heed the words of Christ, the teachings of the Bible, you'll be able to spot danger a lot quicker. If you know truth, you can recognize it. If you don't know truth, you don't. You know of his word, hear his voice, listen to his teaching, the more you'll recognize the stranger and the more you will flee from. And as John says, not even bid God speed. You don't know the, the final thing. They know not the voice of strangers, like those sheep I described to you. And I, again, I, I can visualize that in my mind as much as if I've seen it the way that guy described it. But I would love to see it. But it kind of, I kind of can relate to it because sometimes my animals that I've had over the years, I can holler at them and they should know my voice and they just ignore me. You know? voice of that shepherd only their shepherd and so they know not the voice of strangers this is very simple if we don't have a relationship with those who've started false religions and are teaching false things why would we listen to what they got to say the voice that we adhere to we adhere to because of the relationship and because of our faith and trust in Him. We have no relationship, no intimacy with anybody that teaches anything contrary to Christ, except to get away from them, not bid them God's speed, and not pay any attention to what they say. Because Jesus alone, again, was the way, the truth, and the life. And we follow Him and Him alone. Let's conclude. Do you identify yourself by these ten things? If a person is deceived about who they are and about their salvation, it may bring them to a state of conversion. But it'll never hurt you. Do we hear? Do we follow? Do we trust? Do we obey? And is it all pleasant? This is beautiful. Well, how is that possible? Just open the gospel. Jesus for the remission of your sins. And that's how you identify as a sheep. None of us knew we were sheep when we were lost and dead in trespasses and sin. But you identify as being a sheep 
because the sheep hear and the sheep follow. It's that simple. It's not complicated. So if you're not doing that, do that by faith. And belonging to Him. In fact, it's the only safe place there is. And God, the Holy Spirit, bless